I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. against the law, 
And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Oh, good morning. morning. I need a microphone. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Emily Moore Diamond. Uh, the usual pastor here, if it's your first Sunday, is Michelle Matthews, who is far better at this than I am. And she has this incredible passion for creativity and ministry, and I just am so honored that she is one of my colleagues and that I get to be one of her friends. Um, and she is at Aldersgate Church this morning preaching. Uh, we have four services on the weekend, and I'm usually there. So she and I swapped pulpits this morning. And um, so I only preach one time. That'll be very strange uh, this weekend. And she gets to do all four services over there. She is busy selling those last four 20-some tickets, I think, for the barn raising dinner this weekend. And oh, I hope it goes so well today, and I know they will love having Michelle with them, and I hope if you're new here, you'll come back next week, and then you'll get to hear uh, Michelle preach, and you'll get to meet her and start to build a relationship with her, and I know that you will want to be part of this community. Um, we started, from what I understand, a new sermon series here. Michelle began one entitled The Handmaid's Tale. And before we get into that, I want to say a thank you to Chris, who is Michelle's husband, who is running things today, uh, sound and all that, and Lindsay for leading worship, and it was that Matt who read scripture, and uh, to Brett and Gina for leading our music today, and Christian for giving me a microphone, <laughs> um, <laughs> and for all those persons who've been part of setup, and it's just incredible how this community comes together every Sunday morning and makes this happen. Um, so I'm grateful to have the chance to be with you today. And I understand that some of you did a Ragnar yesterday. Would you raise your hand if you were part of that yesterday? Can you give them like a It's incredible that you did that and you still came this morning. <laughs> so I hope you're moving around okay. And, uh, that's no? Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for being here and we hope you heal. <laughs> Uh, well, this new sermon series is based on uh, The Handmaid's Tale, which is uh, very popular right now, of course. The book that was published in 1985 by Margaret Atwood, and the television series based on the book that's been on Hulu, and sadly, I've not read the book and I've not seen the show. Um, but I hope to do that and rectify that soon. Um, my understanding is that it's about this dystopian society uh, in which women are greatly repressed and they are there to serve the state and serve the men of the state and um, their voices are silenced. So what The Handmaid's Tale seeks to do is to lift up the voices of those who have been silenced and put them on a microphone, so to speak, that they get a chance to tell their stories. Um, and so this sermon series is looking at biblical stories that fit that same tenor. And so most of the time we hear stories of those in scripture that get like the big name headlights, right? Moses, Peter, David, John. But there are other stories that are tucked up underneath. Those tend to be the stories of women in scripture. This sermon series started with uh, Hagar and Rahab. And today we get to tell the story of Esther and what a story it is. Would you pray with me? 
God of grace and God of mercy, God of love and God of peace. Lord, let our souls catch up to us this morning that we would in this time and place notice you beside us, notice the brothers and sisters around us, and be reminded again of who we are, of the voice that you give us, and the courage that you give us to speak it. Lord, we lift up to you the stories from Scripture, Rahab, Hagar, Esther, and more. Those stories that do get tucked up underneath sometimes. Help us to put them on a stand that we may learn from them and learn from these women together. Lord, we love you. And we pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, our refuge, and our strength. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I want to tell you about three stories today. The first story from about 66 years ago, far away from Eastern Europe in the nation of the Netherlands. It was February of 1953, and there was a devastating storm that hit the country. The storm was so devastating that with it came this 12 foot of water, and much of the Netherlands is below sea level. And so that 12 foot of water would have put about 3 million people underneath it. There was a dike that had been constructed to help protect those lower lands, and very early in the morning, when it was still dark, that dike broke. There was about a 50-foot breach within it. And not too far from that 50-foot breach was a 60-foot boat. And so the two persons who were working on that boat, there were others, but the two who were in a place to do something about it, brought that boat parallel to the dike at Levy and then rammed it right into the breach. And when they did that, they saved about three million lives below. An act of courage that protected those who didn't know the water was coming and wouldn't have had time to act to save themselves. Story number two about not two persons, but one person, who acted to save the lives of an untold number of others. It comes from our story of Esther today, who was one brave lady. Before we get to the portion that Matt read for us today, there are some things that have happened in the story, and so I want to catch you up a bit. This story is from more than 2,000 years ago, not 66, and from a faraway place called the Middle East, in a nation that was then Persia. In this story, which is incredible, there was a storm too, but it wasn't one of wind and waves. It was a storm of pride <coughs> and prejudice and revenge. And the people who were uh, faced with the storm, if it had landed, did not know this storm was coming either. And Esther was one of the few people who was in a position to do something about it. 
Esther's story is one of redemption and deliverance. It is a story of courage and faith, and it is masterfully written with twists and turns and irony and suspense and justice. We have an arrogant villain named Haman. We have a temperamental king. We have a wise old cousin and Esther, our protagonist, who is devout and beautiful and brave and clever and Jewish, though no one seems to know it. Esther was an orphan who had been raised and adopted by her cousin, Mordecai. And by the time we get to this passage that uh, Matt read in chapter 4, so much has happened in the story. The king has already deposed his first queen because she would not come to him when he summoned her at the end of a raucous party that had way too much alcohol involved in it. And because she would not come, he deposed her and set out to find a new queen who would be subservient. Esther was chosen to fill that role. Meanwhile, the king has promoted the villain Haman to a position of great power, and in his position, he requires other people to bow down to him. And they all do, except for Mordecai, who is Jewish, and it infuriates the villain Haman. So he tricks the king into signing an irrevocable edict that will unleash a violent attack on Mordecai, and not just Mordecai, all those who are like him, which means all those who are Jews within their nation. And no one knows it's coming. <coughs> Mordecai somehow finds out about it, and he tells Queen Esther that the king has unknowingly just signed an edict that will not only kill Mordecai and all the Jews in the nation, but will kill his wife, Queen Esther, as well. So Mordecai finds out and tells Esther, and she says, well, her hands and voice are tied. She's supposed to be subservient. Remember, she cannot speak to the king unless he wants her to. She cannot refuse to come when she is summoned, nor can she go to the king unless she is summoned. That's the way it works. Her life is in danger if she speaks against the edict. Her life is in danger if she doesn't. Mordecai says to her the words we heard today, if you keep silent, Esther, you and all your family and all your faith community will lose their lives. Perhaps you have come to a royal position like this for just such a time as this. That 12-foot wall of water is coming and no one knows. Esther can fill the breach. She has position and power and voice, but to use them is to risk her life to do it. So what does she do in response? Esther calls upon her God, her faith, her faith community. She tells Mordecai and the Jewish community to join her in prayer and fasting while she figures out what to do. This is the only reference implying God in the entire book. God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. This is that only subtle implication that God is moving and alive within it. And it's a vague reference of that. A vague reference that becomes a crucial turning point in the story. And after these three days of fasting, Esther acts. 
She risks her life to approach the king. She stands before him. And through a series of events, she fills the breach. The king issues a new irrevocable edict, allowing the Jews to defend themselves because he can't revoke the first one. But at least through this, the Jews are saved, Haman is killed, Mordecai gets Haman's job, and the celebration of sorts begins. I hope you get a chance to read the entire story this week. We learn a lot from it. One of the things we learn from it is courage. God-given courage to act on behalf of others when we don't know what the results will be. As the waves continue to come, as courage, discerning the right God-driven thing to do and being afraid to do it and doing it anyway, that's courage. John Wayne said courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. But notice Esther doesn't saddle up alone. That three-day period of prayer becomes the turning point in her story. God is the one who gives her courage. The community of faith is that which gives her courage to do what she is called to do in such a time and place as this. What about you? This is not only a story of Esther. It is a story of each one of us. God is still in the business of giving people courage and still in the business of calling people to act and still in the business of giving us voice when we don't have one to use. At such a time as this, what might God be calling you to have the courage to do? I wonder. One of the questions in my ordination interviews was what would you do if you were braver? I said, I think I'd scare myself. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how to answer the question. God called me to be a pastor when I grew up in a tradition that didn't allow women to be pastors. Why would God do that? I grew up in a tradition that not only didn't recognize it, but didn't allow it, and not only didn't allow it, but thought it was wrong, scripturally wrong, and condemned women for it. And women weren't even allowed to teach boys. Once they reached the age of 18, a man had to teach them that. Why in the world would God call a woman in that faith tradition to be a clergy person? Why couldn't God have called someone where growing up and you can be a pastor, whether you're a boy or a girl, or whether you're anything or this or that, and you can do it, and it's normal. Boy, did I have a long road to hope. Esther took three days to pray about having the courage to act. It took me more than three decades. I'm a slow learner, <laughs> and I'm slow to trust the God who made me. Why in the world is that? That it's hard to trust the God who designed us and made us as we are to be the people who we are. Why would it be hard to trust a God like that? Courage takes such different forms in our lives. 
what might God be calling you to have the courage to do or say? What becomes the third and fourth and fifth and sixth stories here? The ones with you in it. The ones with Kingstown Communion in it. Is it to get on the school bus for the first time? Is that the courageous thing to do? Or is it to get on the school bus the third time when the first and second trips did go so well? Or is it to have tough love? To get control of finances, to tackle health issues, or to share your faith with someone else? To invite them to church with you? What might God be calling you to have the courage to do? To perform an intervention? to befriend someone others have already cast out, to forgive someone, to ask for forgiveness, to ask for help? What might God be calling you to have the courage to do? For some of us, it might be getting out of bed in the morning. Sometimes life is like that. And the hardest thing in the world to do is to get out of bed in the morning. That can take the most courage of all. Courage comes in many shapes and sizes. Courage is God-trusting persistence. I'm going to say that again. Courage is God-trusting persistence to act to speak, to do the things that God has called us to do, even when we don't know how it will turn out. Nevertheless, God won't let us go. The story of Esther, too, has this big picture to it. For when Esther acts as those two persons in the first story I told, they do so on behalf of others to save others who are downstream, who don't know the edict is coming, who don't know the wall is crumbling and don't know the water is lapping at the edge. And with that, I'm reminded of other Esther-like figures who risked their lives for something bigger. Martin Luther King Jr. comes to mind. Oscar Romero, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, Dorothy Day, and others. It may be that God is giving some of us or giving this faith community courage for the big picture to take on a broken system for needed systemic change towards social justice. We live in a city, you know, where that kind of thing can happen. What might God be calling the Kingstown Communion to have the courage to do or say? Our denomination is having a storm of its own. Not of wind and waves. One that's more complicated to define. And Pastor Michelle tells me you have an important vote coming October 20th. And she told me I could bring it up this morning. As you work together to begin to fill a breach. It is important work that you are called and gifted and given the courage to do. Perhaps we are here in this place, on this planet, for such a time as this, that by the power and grace of God, we will step up and make a difference in the lives of others for God given life. 
what will be story number three, four, five, six, and seven. The one that God is writing in and through you and in and through this community. What would you do if you were braver and saw the breach and were scared to death and moved to fill it anyway? God is writing courage in each of us and in this community of faith to bring about God's kingdom here on earth. A kingdom that gives voice and doesn't take it away. A kingdom that includes and doesn't exclude. A kingdom that loves and doesn't stop. A kingdom that goes out of its way for others. It's who we, like Esther, are called to be. So let us spend time and prayer and fasting while God gives us the courage to act. Amen and amen. Would you pray with me? God of mercy and God of grace, You call us to be who you have made us to be. And you supply courage to us that we might be in. Forgive us, Lord, for any time that we have perhaps silenced the voice of another. Forgive us for any time that we have not given someone freedom to speak and act as you have told them to do. Forgive us, Lord, for any time that we have acted or the church has act, acted in such a way that made someone else feel smaller than they are. Lord, things can get so messed up and broken Help us, Lord, to be those persons that you have called to step into the breach and begin to make those repairs that need to be made, to say words that need to be said, to take actions that need to be taken. Lord, let us seek you first and let you guide us and lead us and move us to do and be the things that you have called us to do and be. Lord, we lift up our Kingstown communion. We lift up Aldersgate Church as well. We lift up our Kingstown community. We lift up each and every person in this room. We lift up our neighbors, our brothers and sisters. And Lord, we lift up the prayer concerns of this community and all those things with which we wrestle and all those times and places when we have been afraid to act or speak and all those times in which we felt your nudge to do so and just were afraid because Lord it happens but we lift our prayer concerns to you we lift all those who feel that they have been silenced in one way or another we lift to you all those persons who have a story to tell and no one to hear it 
Lord, give us ears to do that hearing for another. And Lord, we lift to you those prayer concerns we've shared with no one. We lift them to you this day. And Lord, we pray together those words that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of Yeah.